take your Bibles tonight, if you would, and turn to Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Once in a while, it's good to do a biographical sermon where you take a character of Scripture, kind of dig into their life a little bit and see what you can learn, and that's where we're headed this evening. Let me read the text for you. Philippians, fantastic book. Uh, We're going to read Philippians 2 and verses 19 through 24. Paul writes, and you can see it, it kind of... um, begins and ends, little bracket, he's going to hope to send Timothy. That's what frames this little paragraph. And then between, he's going to tell us why it's so important for him to send Timothy um, soon as he can, and that even though he can't send him right away, he's going to send Epaphroditus next paragraph in his place until he can come. And what's that's going to teach us tonight? So he says, verse 19, I hope in the Lord... See it again down in verse 23. I hope, therefore, it's his goal, it's his aim to send Timothy. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I, too, may be cheered by news of you. Now, here's the reason. Why would he send Timothy? Why is that his hope? For I have no one like him. A New Living Translation, NIV, both translate it. There is no one else like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Second for, see it? So he's concerned for them. And then there's more. And why, why Timothy? He's going to tell you. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. And this shouldn't surprise them because he's going to tell them that they already, they already know about how Timothy's the right one to come. But you know Timothy's proven worth. It's a word that means to be tested by fire, like a piece of metal or gold or something. He, he's been tested. You, you know that he, this is not a fake or facade. The guy's the real deal. He really cares for them. As a son with a father, he served with me in the gospel. You know it, I know it. So we should both be encouraged by it, basically. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. So Paul's in prison. He wants to make sure if Timothy is needed to be a witness or to be someone that helps him through difficult times in a court case or to meet his physical needs, that he has someone there. So whenever that's cleared up, that's when he's going to send him. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come. So, you know, eventually I'm going to be there. But before I can get there, I'm going to send Timothy. And probably before Timothy can get there, you can see it in the next paragraph, he's going to end, send Epaphroditus. So he knows that these people need encouragement. I want to draw your attention and I want to build what we're going to say tonight about selflessness off of this phrase. So follow me if you would. Let me build it for you tonight. Paul, if you didn't know it, has a a number one disciple, and his name is Timothy. He was saved, and then he started with Paul on missions journeys in Acts 16, verses 1 through 5. His mother was Jewish, his dad was Greek, and God put that together for that was perfectly what Paul needed in missions. So he's his number one man. Uh, Two letters were written to Timothy by Paul personally. We have them in our scriptures, 1 and 2 Timothy. Uh, Timothy's name is mentioned in line with Paul and his work 25 different times in the New Testament. 
10 out of 13 epistles that Paul wrote mention Timothy as working with Paul. So he's very commonly associated with him. And so Paul knows this guy like he doesn't know very other, few other people in the world. And uh, this is Paul's estimation of him. And let me just say before I tell you, I mean, I would love if Paul would have been able to say this about me. And, and I, I think you would agree, if someone as Paul's spiritual stature, so to speak, would be able to give this kind of a report of someone, I think we all would say, thank you, Jesus, for working in my life. But here's the phrase, if you could see it with me, verse 20. Paul says, I'm going to send him. Here's why. For I have no one like him. We would say today, Timothy is unique, uh, possibly one of a kind, He doesn't come around just every day. Uh, Uncommon, that's kind of how we phrased it tonight. He's he's an uncommon guy. Um, Paul says he comes closest to being if I was there. So Paul, that's why Paul says, you know, eventually I'm going to come there, but until I come here, the next best thing I could do for you is to give you this guy Timothy. Uh, Something very unique about Timothy that sets him apart from everybody else, because in a minute he's going to say in the next verse, you know why I'm sending him? Because everybody else, all others, he says, I don't know exactly who that is, all other people that he could send from the churches of the people he knows from Rome, or I don't know, but out of all the people he could think of, he says every, almost everybody else has this characteristic. They seek their own things. But not Timothy. He doesn't do that. He doesn't seek. He seeks the things of others, it says. The things of Christ. That's what makes him different. Um, Now, listen. You know what sets Timothy apart as his number one disciple? The guy that has the label on him, not like anyone else. You know what it is? Let me tell you what it isn't. It's not his physical traits. You know what sets him apart? Not how great he is at athletics. That doesn't do it. It's not how muscular or really good looking he is. It's not even his leadership skills, although he works full time in the ministry. But that's not what Paul says why you need to have him. He's not referring to Timothy's charismatic personality and that everybody wants to be around him because the guy is just great. He's so, he's a great speaker or he's just funny or whatever he might be. That's not what he says. In fact, if you read anything about Timothy, he sends, tends to have a struggle with being bold enough and he has a problem of giving in to fear and he's timid and not being ashamed. Don't be ashamed of me as the prisoner of Christ. So the truth is he's probably anything but charismatic. He's more probably a little timid, maybe a little reserved, maybe lacking in boldness and easily giving in to fear. Those seem to be more his traits, but he's still the number one guy. Still the number one guy he could send. No one else like him. It's not referring to his incredible intellect. The Apostle Paul must have valued people who were very theological, who had a great mind because Paul had one of the greatest. And although Timothy spent all his time with him and probably knew what Paul believed and thought about Scripture and about truth inside and out, that's not what Paul tags him as. That's not what the recommendation is. That's not why they should receive him with honor. It's none of those things. You know what it is? You know what set Timothy apart? It was his selflessness. That's what it was. I mean, his greatest strength was not physical, mental, but relational. 
You know why he sent him? Because no one else cared for people like he did. He put the interest of other people above himself. That's what he was known for. He was a person, and this is the phrase in the Greek, he genuinely, really cared about others. It was real. It wasn't because it was his job or his position under Paul. It wasn't for church politics. It was because he really cared. See, I don't think it's an overstatement to say this. A selfless person like Timothy is rare. It's rare. Maybe he's on the, what, the the extinction list, (laughs) almost. Let me prove my point to you. There's a book I found in my studies this week for this message. Listen to this title. Selfish is the New Selfless. That's the title. In other words, it, it, everyone used to admire selflessness, and now the one that thing that everyone just prizes is how selfish you are. That's what really everyone wants. That's what they look up to, is how self-oriented you can be. You don't believe it's true? Listen to this. In 2015, more people died of trying to take unusual selfies than those who were attacked by sharks. Every day, listen to every day on Instagram, 1,000 selfies are posted every 10 seconds. That blows your mind. Every 10 seconds, 1,000 new selfies. That's not a lie. Every day across the globe, how many selfies do you think are posted on the internet? 93 million new selfies every day. Every day. Between 2011 and 17, 259 people tried, died trying to take a unique selfie. 259 people have died. And I won't even tell you, if it wasn't so tra- tragic, you'd think, oh my word, can people really be this crazy? Why in the world would you ever do that? Because they wanted to take a selfie. Someone has said tweets are verbal selfies. Facebook is lifetime, lifestyle selfie. I almost titled this message, How to Live Unselfie in a Selfie World, but I thought that was too modern. Is a word, I even looked it up, is, un, is selfiness or selfie-less a word? It ought to be. It ought to be. Ask Jean Twinge. I, I've happened to have read her books. She's not a Christian. She's a popular psychologist who's been writing about, from an incredibly secular point, but believe it or not, uh, does a better job of saying it sometimes than Christians do, over the last probably decade, 10 or 12 years. She's written three books. Listen to the title, because every title of her book has a super long subtitle, which never has been popular since the Puritans stopped writing. But listen to her books. The Narcissism Epidemic. This is the shortest of the three. Living in an Age of Entitlement. Second one, probably her best one. Generation Me. Why today's young Americans are more confident, assertive, entitled, and more miserable than ever before. And her third one, I-Gen, or I-Generation. Why today's super-connected kids are growing up less rebellious, more tolerant, less happy, and completely unprepared for adulthood, and what that means for the rest of us. Is that the longest title you ever heard? But here's what Gene Twinge knows. That we live in a culture that's all about selfie. That selflessness 
is almost unheard of. You know, it's almost a joke. I, I go around and time, sometimes at school, talk to the little kids, and I was talking to them, a few of them, this was last year, and I asked them, I said, hey, what do you think of Bugs Bunny? And the kid goes, who's that? I go, are you serious? I go, what, what about Popeye? Popeye? What is that? No, they didn't even know who Popeye or Bugs Bunny was. Number one, that's a failure in parenting, isn't it? But I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be surprised someday if someone says to your art kids, what is, you know what, selflessness, selflessness, what is that? That's just, our culture doesn't have it. They don't think it that way anymore. The biblical Timothy was not a selfie saint. And that made him unlike, as, the, as Paul would say, at least in the ESV's translation of it, it makes him unlike everybody else. It was rare, uncommon. But can I tell you, and, and follow me now, that's not really the emphasis of the text. It's a result, him being not like other people, and particularly the culture, the Greek and Roman culture, they didn't value un, unselfishness at all. It's kind of like 21st century America. But, can, but that's not what the word means. Let me tell you what it means. Um, the word none, no one like him, that's a phrase in English. It's one word in the Greek, and it's, I know it's going to mean to you, but it's isosukon. And I say that to you, not that it means anything to you, but it's a compound word, iso. You know what iso means? Like, let me tell you, isosceles triangle. You know what an isosceles triangle is? Someone tell me. I, I, Steve's a math wizard, so he got it. But anyone else? Yes. No? You're just waving at me. Thank you. No, that's what, yeah, most people say that. Not equal on all sides, equal on two sides. The bottom is this link, but the two sides are the same. Iso means equal or same. Now, in the Greek, the same prefix iso is used back up earlier in this chapter. In chapter 2, remember when it says that Jesus didn't think it robbery to claim equality with God or that he was equal to God, that's the same prefix. And so here's what, here's what Paul's really saying about Timothy. <clears throat> Not that there's no one like him compared to others, although that's true, but that's just the result. What he's really trying to say is that I don't have anyone that has a same psychology. Iso, equal, psycho is the, is the bottom of it, the back side of it. I don't, I don't have anyone who is same-souled. That would be a little... Same psychology. No one that I know of, other than Timothy, Timothy, thinks the same way about how to love the Philippians that I do. I couldn't send you anybody better. Sending Timothy is virtually the same as if I came there myself. Same-souled. You know, we might say, you know, it's a romantic thing to say, oh, so-and-so is my soulmate. It's really not a very biblical, but I'm not in that tonight. But, but, but the concept is that they say, oh, everything, we think the same, do the same of everything. And, and that's literally a biblical word, not for marriage, but for ministry. And Paul says, and when it comes to ministry, Timothy is same-souled. It's not like he's not like everybody else. The point why I want to send him is because he's just like me. Now, Paul's not saying that boastfully. He's saying that carefully because the whole idea in the chapter is is to be like Jesus. I mean, that's what verses 1 through 4, chapter 2 is. Hey, you be together. It says, verse 4, look at it. 2, 4. 
you look out for the interest of others, not your own things, right? And then he says, where do you get that from? How do you, who models that for you? Jesus, let this attitude mind be in you, which was in him. And then later on he says, by the way, look at Timothy, because he does that. And look at Epaphroditus, he does that. And if you flip over to chapter 3, Paul says, look at me. I, I got saved and I do that, right? So the point is, I couldn't send anyone who was more like Jesus and how he loves people than this guy, Timothy. He has equal love for you. And that's why, look at the text. In verse 19, I'm going to send Timothy. Verse 23, the word send, I'm going to send Timothy. Look at verse 25. There's two for Timothy and there's two for Epaphroditus. 25, I'm going to send Epaphroditus. 28, I sent Epaphroditus. So why are these two guys, back to back, Timothy and Epaphroditus, put in there? Because he's giving the Philippians living illustrations of people who have the same soul, the same kind of psychology, the same type of mentality about how to love people and make it the number one interest of their life, just like Jesus. These guys are as close as I could possibly give you to how I live, which I borrowed and followed from Jesus, he would say. So let me give you the opening principle. This is just in general. Ready? Selflessness, I told you in the prayer, selflessness is not just taught, it is caught. By that I mean this, look at the passage. Look at the example of Jesus, and then you have Timothy, Epaphroditus, Paul, spelled out for you what kind of people they are. Timothy is so unique in how much, why? Why all the examples? Because evidently, we all need living illustrations of living selflessly for others so that we can see it. We can see it. We can preach about it all you want. You can teach about it all you want. But what really changes people's lives is when you do it, when you live it. Parents, it's not enough to teach your children to be selfless. It's, it's, an, it's, it's part of the equation. But it's not enough. You must model it for them. They must see the paradigm and pattern of selflessness and the way that you live your life. The way that you treat your, sp- your spouse, their mom or their dad. The way you treat the other siblings. The way you act. And t- when you come home from church, if you're griping and slandering and complaining about what happened and who did this and said that. See, if, you don't, if you're not like that for other people, they're going to learn those ways from you. And you can say all you want. But if you don't model selflessness with your time... And you, don't, you can't give time to the church, and you can't give your tithe to the church, and you can't give your talent, and you can say, hey, we come and go, and, you know, we're not really, if it's easy for us, we'll be there. And all, you know, If that's how you look at it, and you're not going to model selflessness, they're not going to get it, no matter how many preachers have sermons about it, right? So members of FBC, it's not enough to selfless, be selfless toward others who you like and agree with. You know, that anybody can do that. I'm very selfless toward things that I like and agree with. You know, you tell me an interest of the church and something in missions, and I'll put my time in there and I'll give money toward it. And, and you have things that you like and of great interest to you, see. But what about the things that you don't quite agree with, you don't see eye to eye with? How about the people you don't see eye with? And you struggle even liking certain people, and you certainly struggle agreeing with them. And, and you may have the attitude that I, the selflessness, selflessness stops if I don't like it or agree with it. I, I'm certainly not participating in it. I remember the time my dad 
told me the story of my pastor growing up, and my dad was a deacon, and they were going to do something in the church, and I can't remember exactly what it was they were going to do, and they all took a vote on it, and everyone raised their hand, and my dad was the only one who voted no. And he thought, well, my dad goes, it's not going to go my way, but at least I won't have to do any of it. And as soon as the vote was over, he turned to my dad, the only one who voted no, and he said, and Bill, I'd like you to be the chairman of that. My dad goes, what? He goes, I'm the only one. He goes, good, because you'll know all the things we shouldn't do when we try to accomplish it. And so my dad goes, all right. But see, see, there you go. See, it's not just that I'm selfless when it comes to what I want and what I like. And it's the same thing. I tell some people like this level of music for conservative. Some people like a little less conservative. Somebody wants to hymn. Someone wants to sing on the screen. Someone wants to hold the book in their hand. I like this version. I like that version. And, and, and endless, endless, you could go on. But the question is, how selfless can you be about things that aren't crucial issues? Whether you agree with people or you don't agree with people. See, in Timothy, uh, Philippians 2, 1 through 4, here's what he tells the church to do. Look at the verses, verse 4 in particular. He says this. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now draw a line from that into what he tells about Timothy. He's telling the Philippians, you look at other people's interests and put them above yours. Look what he's telling about Timothy in our text. I have no one like him, 220, who will be genuinely concerned for, for all seek their, see this? All seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. So you know what I'm telling you to do as a church? I'm sending Timothy, you know why? He's going to model it. But look in the text. Verse 4, he says, don't seek your own interest, seek others' interest. Watch this. Not your interest, others. Timothy, what does he do? He doesn't seek his own interest. He seeks, you'd expect others. It doesn't say that. What does it say? Jesus Christ's. See that? So let me give you the principle. Ready? The principle is this. Is that when you are seeking others' interests, you are also seeking Jesus's. Now flip it over. When you are seeking Jesus' interests, you will also be seeking others. They go together. When it comes to living for others and being selfless, listen to this. It has a vertical dimension and a horizontal one. You cannot, hear me please, you cannot separate them. You cannot say that you come to church and, Pastor, what I'm always doing, I'm just seeking the vertical. I'm seeking the interest of Jesus. I just want to do what he says. But at the same time, everything you do, you're contrary and you're obstinate and you want your own agenda when it comes to all the things that you're involved in because you're interested in. And somehow we have the ability to separate his from ours and the people to whom we serve. And here's what Paul says. That's not selflessness. It's superficial selflessness at best, but it's not sacrificial selflessness. That's what he's after. He goes, here's what a Jesus-like person does. Not his own interest, others. Because he doesn't put his interest, it's Jesus's. And when Jesus' interests are yours, 
you will put others above yourself. But when you are only concerned about your interest and you don't really care about the people you're serving and how they see things and you just void it out because it's different than yours, you really don't care about his. That's the honest truth. So I wrote, selfless believers seek the interest of others and their own, above their own interest and... When you seek the interests of others above your own interests, you are really also seeking the interest of Jesus. So for Paul, it's not an either-or proposition. It's a both-and proposition. The vertical and the horizontal. When I'm seeking Jesus, and I'm also seeking others. I'm putting both of them. And it's the old thing, isn't it? Jesus, others, you. Isn't that the joy acronym that's been trite forever? Paul would say it's true. It's true. You can't seek Jesus' interest without seeking others' interest. And if you don't seek others, you're not really seeking his. That's what Paul wants us to know. That's what selflessness really is. Someone told the illustration years ago, that a lot of people like to think that they're selfless because they draw out a thousand dollars and take that thousand dollars and give it towards something that they want to further of an interest of theirs. And Paul would say that's one kind of selflessness, but it's not very good. It's not that Christ likeness. Here's what he says, and this is where I read the illustration. They said instead of taking the thousand dollars and giving to that, real life is like taking the thousand dollars and exchanging it for a thousand dollars worth of quarters. And taking those quarters and giving it toward other people every day in little ways. Not one big event that you can say, look how selfless I am. I gave a lot of money to an interest I already have that I agree with. Paul says, you want to be like Jesus? You want to be like Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus? You know what selflessness looks like? Not superficial selflessness that's an event once in a while so that you can feel good about it and others can see you do it. But he said, it's not the $1,000 thing. It's $1,000 worth of quarters. It's the little quarter where I do it, where no one sees it, and I do this, and I, I really wasn't that interested, but I gave my time to that, and I came for that event, even though it wasn't my favorite event. And then I came and did this quarter, and I put a quarter here, and it's a 1000 quarters, I mean, hundreds of quarters all year long, investing in people selflessly when people don't even know that you're doing it. That's why he goes on to explain it. Look at verse 20 again, chapter 2. He's, how selfish is he? Because he genuinely is concerned for your welfare. And the word genuinely is a word that means sincerely, truly. It's the only time it's used in the New Testament. It means real, not a phony, not a fake, not a sham. It's not pretentious so that I can get a kudos from somebody or a pat on the back. Can I tell you how, what genuineness looks like? The next word expresses it. Concerned. And the word concerned, believe this or not, is the same word used for anxiety. ESV translates it of Paul in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight: deep concern. Anxiety is not wrong if it's concern for good things, which doesn't, if that concern doesn't control you and make you do bad things. In other words, I can be deeply concerned and not sin. Only sinful anxiety is wrong where I let it control me to the point where I stop doing good or stop doing right or I do wrong in its place. Paul says, people who are really selfless, you know what they have? They're not just doing it externally. They're really thinking of people's welfare, what's best for them, 
and it really is concerning to them. I mean, it wouldn't be just something you do for someone. It's a couple quarters you invest or more, but it would probably make you pray about it. And then not only would you do the thing for them, but you'd probably call them about it and text them about it a few times, and you'd remember it. I mean, have you ever had someone in your family get really sick or die, and then a year later on the anniversary of it, someone remembers that? See, to me, that's selfless. that is really selfless, sacrificial. I mean, I'm thinking and made, made a point of months later or a year later remembering something like that. And, and, and Paul says that's what Timothy's like. He's, really con- he's deeply concerned. It's more than just an occasional selfless event or isolated action. Like you give money in the offering plate, which is good. But he wants, God wants more than your money. He wants you. He wants an investment, not of just what you have, because Timothy didn't have anything like that. He wants an investment of who you are, see. Now, that's probably a challenge to all of us, but he's not done. It's actually deeper than that. So it's an investment of who you, not just what you have, but who you are. And let me add a phrase. Even when that selflessness is of no benefit to you or even if it hurts you to do it. Let me show you what I mean by that. There's the phrase, it's only mentioned twice in the New Testament with the same Greek words, the exact same grammatical structure, two times, to the point of death is the phrase. It's used in this chapter both times. One of them, is the one you know, and the one of them you don't know as well. But again, they're identical. And the reason is, is because this deep concern that Epaphroditus has for loving these people and what he's willing to do to sacrificially uh, and selfishly love them is just like Jesus. And let me show it to you. Jesus is the one you know, 2.8, and it says this. And being found in human form... He humbled himself by becoming obedient. Here's our phrase. To the point of death. There are other similar phrases in English that sound like it, but in the original language, only two are used identically in Greek, and these two are it. Two eight, to the point of death. Now watch. It also is talking about Epaphroditus, and 2.30 uses identical language. In 2.30 it says... And it starts with the phrase, for he nearly died. See that? It's the same phrase. He, he, right to the point of death. For, but here's what it says. The first one is Jesus became obedient unto death, to the point of death. And then for Epaphroditus, he, he nearly died for the work of Christ. The, the horizontal's not emphasized. It's the vertical part. But everybody knows the context is horizontal. See how he puts them together? So when you really love God... How far would you take the selflessness thing? Pastor Walker, how far would I be selfless at church? I mean, am I supposed to be a doormat and let everybody walk over me? Am I supposed to just, hey, my opinion doesn't matter and my interests don't matter and I just let everybody do what they want? No, it's not like that. But there are times, there are times that our mentality, in fact, at least our overall mentality should be this. How far would I take it? Here's what it says in the text. So receive him, talking about Epaphroditus, verse 29, in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ. See this? Risking his life 
to complete what was lacking in your service. Risking his life only one time in the New Testament. And, that's, and it means this, literally compound, to throw away your life. It was a gambler's term. If you gambled, you'd take a big risk by throwing whatever it was they did to the gamble back then, and you'd risk everything. You risk losing everything. And it says, here's what Epaphroditus, here's what selflessness did. So that he could help somebody else, which would be no benefit to him, and put him in a place of danger. He exposed himself to danger for somebody else's benefit that could hurt him. That's selflessness. That's how far he would take it. The last letter Paul ever wrote was 2 Timothy. And he tells Timothy that only Luke is with me. But you know why? Because everybody has forsaken me. They couldn't take the selflessness that far. They couldn't. Paul said at my second defense, my second apology, when he was going to stand there and he was probably going to end up being sentenced to death and they were going to cut his head off. And if you associated with him publicly, they might determine you're a Christian and you could be on the block next. And he said, you know what? All my close friends, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Cretans to Dalmatia and Titus to, to to another location. Only Luke is with me, he says. Bring Mark, for he is profitable for me for ministry. You know what he said? Hey, everybody I trusted with and went so far with me, to a certain point they were selfless, but now that their life is risked, not that much. Do you have a line that you draw? Do you have a line that you draw? Hey, Pastor Walker, selfless to this point, but don't expect, and you fill in the blank. I mean, come on, really? You want me to do this in ministry? I don't even know how to do that. I've never done that before. No, I can't do that. You want me to be what? Service? What? You want me to do this? You want me to come and be here for the service? You want me to... See, here's what Paul says. You know what selflessness is? To this point. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. <laughs> See, the only two other statements that are very close to this, other than the pre- pronoun, in, I mean the, the prefix of it, is two phrases in Revelation 2.10 and 12.11. Here's what they say. Be faithful unto death. Almost identical. And the other one, 12.11, for they love not their lives unto the death. You know, almost every time this phrase or something very close to it is used, it's for somebody saying that I want to love Jesus and be committed to Jesus so much. You know what I do? I love him so much that I love other people. And you know how far I take it? I take it as far as it needs to go, even if I lost everything, including my life. That's far-fetched in America, but not in the world. Not in the world. It wasn't in Bible times, and it isn't in North Korea and communist Venezuela, and other places in the world. And by the way, it's growing. More martyrs in this century than in all the history of the centuries before us. And it's coming to America. Count on it. It's just a matter of time. We better get it in our minds now that Christianity is not about selfie, but unselfie. Right? It's about living for others, because we live for Jesus first. Can I close with this tonight? Christ-like selflessness does not mean thinking less of yourself. It means thinking of yourself less. See, people say, well, if I practice that, 
What about my self-esteem? And what about this if people don't like it? And they don't trick me. You know what it says in the text? Well, people, he has proven that. Timothy was a guy who proved it. But that kind of selfless living got Jesus crucified. It got Paul's head cut off. Most of the apostles imprisoned or executed. And here's what he says. In a shame and honor culture, it wasn't valued. And I know that because, and I'll close with this, verse 29 says, he has to tell them, when Timothy and Epaphroditus comes, especially Epaphroditus, receive him. And the word is, welcome him with hospitality. Take him into your church. Meet all of his needs. And it says, and to honor him. And it's strangely, isn't it? The word honor is the name of Timothy. (laughs) That Timothy's name means to honor. And in a culture where you selflessly gave for others and sacrificed to the point they thought you had lost your mind, nobody thought that was a great virtue. You're not going to have people in Roman culture stand up and give you applause. No one's going to do that if you live like that. Nobody but Jesus. Hopefully someone in the church, but that's not what you're doing for anyways, right? But he has to tell him, receive him, welcome him, meet his needs, hold him in high esteem. In other words, give honor, because this is what Jesus is looking for. Not how smart you are, not how great you are, or how intellectual, how much theology you know. Not, not because those things are bad, they're not. But here's what he's looking for. You know what makes you stand out, or what should? What made Timothy set, what was, set him apart? How much he loved God And it overflowed into loving others. That's what made him different. He had learned with Paul and Epaphroditus how to live unselfie in a selfie world. It wasn't his image he wanted plastered everywhere. It was Jesus's. Because he was made in his image. How about you? How about me? Selfless or selfish? Which one are we going to be? Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us to be exhorted and rebuked and corrected and encouraged by Timothy's biographical sketch tonight. Paul thought this guy stood out, and he was set apart from almost everyone he knew, but not by the things our world would value or say is great. He wasn't certainly a celebrity. He wasn't going on the talk shows everywhere else. He wasn't starting a blog, no one else like me. Instead, he was like Jesus, and he was willing to associate with Paul because of it. He was willing to go to the Philippians and work out their problems with them. He's willing to be committed to ministry, even if it meant suffering and death. Father, most of us here have not faced any circumstances remotely that hard, but at some point we still struggle for some reason to be selfless. May it be what marks us in our marriages May it be mark us as our families and our parents and children. May it mark us as Christians in our church and how we treat one another and how committed we are to this ministry and to the work of it. May it mark us in our community as we seek to win those who are lost. Help by our selflessness as we follow your example, Jesus, that people might see you in us. And we'll thank you for that, for it's in your matchless name I pray. Amen.